but welcome again for those who have maybe jumped on a little late and uh, if you haven't been able to catch the last two weeks, um, it's been a phenomenal series on Keep the Change, looking at generosity, looking at giving, looking at our finances. And the first week, Dave Ramsey uh, did a phenomenal job. Um, and really, if you missed it, um, you really should catch that. It's, it's online. And then Hilt spoke last week about the four lies that culture tells us about money and giving and generosity. So um, really good platform for where we're going today, which really is going to look at this idea of being rich towards God. Can we pray just for a moment? Father, thank you that as we speak about your word, Father, I take such confidence that it has the ability to pierce hearts, to cause change, to bring about conviction. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask you to do a work today in our hearts, God, that would cause us to see things not from our own perspective, not from our own upbringing, not from our own culture, but from a kingdom culture. So, Father, even as we sung, that you would awake something on the inside of us. Father, thank you for your generosity, and we just want to replicate and look like you, Jesus. So we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's been a, um, as it's mentioned, nearly every week, it's been a difficult 18 months. It hasn't been an easy 18 months, and particularly financially, I think, for you know, the economy here in South Africa, um, obviously, like businesses during the unrest has been particularly difficult. But I think for all of us, we've felt the pinch. We've felt that kind of financial strain on our own personal lives. And uh, one of the things that has, um, I guess, enlarged or increased talking about finances is this financial separation or this the distribution of wealth has only got larger in the last 18 months. Um, and it really is quite, in my opinion, quite horrific uh, to stomach. And that is that the top 1%, the top 1% have more resources and finances than the bottom 50% in our world. And I don't know how that sits for you, but certainly for me, that is fairly mind-blowing. Um, I am grateful that Man United have uh, Ronaldo and not Man City. Um, but I will tell you that it is still mind-blowing. Too much uh, to get my head around when you start to see the figures that football players, uh, that they're spending on football players. And that goes for uh, pretty much all sport. Um, but it is just this disparity of wealth um, is is only getting wider and wider. And you know the saying, how much do you need to be happy? Just a little bit more. How much do you need to be happy? Just a little bit more. And Jesus actually cautions us against this kind of thinking. In Luke 12, chapter 15, he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And yet the world has us chasing this lie that it's what you do not have that you need to be happy. And this is not just for the top 1%. It's what you do not have that you need to be happy. How much do you need to be happy? Just a little bit more. 
And uh, there's this account of this guy in the, in the scripture, the, the scriptures that has this bumper crop, like has this phenomenal year. And he's already got barns, the scriptures speak about, that he's storing this kind of stuff up with. And he, he, he begins to ponder, like, what do I do with this bumper crop, this extra, this additional increase? And so he has what he believes is a marvelous idea, and that is to tear down the small barns and build bigger barns. And God actually responds to him and says that you're foolish because tonight your life will be taken from you. And this storing up, this possessions mentality is going to help you nothing. Listen to what it says in Luke chapter 12, verse 20 to 21. It says, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. But is not rich towards God. I want to just point out, God actually doesn't necessarily have a problem in storing up, doesn't have a problem in investments, doesn't have a problem in planning. What he has a problem is when you are putting yourself at the center of the story and your storing up is for yourself and you do not live a life that is rich towards God. How do you and I live a life that is rich towards God? And that's what we're going to be unpacking over this next little session, uh, little 25 minutes of this next session together. And I want to make a statement that you're probably going to disagree with. And then I'm going to disagree back with you. And I got the mic. And so I'm going to be right just for the next 25 minutes. And the statement is this, you are rich. You're like, have you seen my bank account? Have you seen my petrol gauge? Nothing like the week of unrest to keep all of us. I know um, our senior leader, Roger Gregg, never lets his petrol tank go under three quarters. And I'm like, well, I've, you know, I've never lived that high, high life. You know? I'm like living on the empty side of life and you know, living by faith. But after the unrest, like, I'm like sitting always at full tank, you know, just in case. But so I've learned. But you are rich. And I know you want to say back to me, I'm not. But you are rich. Because statistics say that 3 billion, half the world's population, live on less than 30 rand a day. That is 600 rand a month. You are rich. And if you've ever thrown around statements like these, we call them rich people problems. If you've ever said, ah, Petrol is so expensive. That probably means you have a car, which means you are rich. If you've ever looked in the fridge full of food and said, there's nothing to eat. That probably means you have a fridge. And it probably means you're not living from meal to meal. You are rich. If you've ever looked at Netflix and that circle of doom is just spinning there, and you don't know how long and you go, this is so frustrating. You probably got Wi-Fi and a computer. And just a side note, that signal is coming from outer space. Could you just calm down for two and a half seconds? But you are rich. And being rich actually puts us at a disadvantage. Because being rich gets us trusting what's in our hand more than trusting what's in his hand. And today God is wanting to shift some things, shift the way that we think. 
And there's a story of a rich young ruler in the scriptures. And I'm just going to pull one piece of scripture out from the story, but I want to give you some context. Young, rich young ruler, as the scripture kind of describes and comes up to Jesus and says, how do I enter the kingdom of God? How do I receive eternal salvation? How do I get to heaven? In other words, and Jesus responds and says, you should obey all the 10 commandments to which he responds, I have which is a total lie, but it's kind of how humanity likes to perceive themselves. It's like in today's terms, perhaps somebody would say, he's such a nice person. Like he's just such a good person. And so God wants to, Jesus in this moment wants to get rid of all the fluff and the religious jargon. He's like, okay, 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 perfect. Let's move past that. Let's get to the heart of the matter. And then he says this to him, just do one more thing. I know you're a good guy. I know you, you know, I know you go to church. I know, I, know, I know you read your Bible. I know you're a very nice person. Let's just get to the heart of the matter. He says you should give away your wealth, your riches. And it says the young man, this rich young ruler, got despondent in his heart, couldn't make that decision, turned around and walked away. And in fact, many versions have the same kind of response from God where Jesus says it, was, it broke God's heart. And we pick up the passage in Luke Chapter 18, verse 24, and it says, Jesus looked at him and said, a pretty outrageous statement, considering you and I are rich. How hard is it for, a, for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? I think Jesus is wanting to ask us that question today. Why is it so hard for us, the rich, to enter the kingdom of God? And I think there's a couple of things. I think because the reason that the story plays out is because Jesus wants to get to the heart of the matter in all of our lives. And that is, where do you put your worship? Because worship is not something we just sing about or bow down to. Worship is anything that you give your attention to, your adoration to, your pursuit of. Worship is anything you build your life around. Worship is anything that you put your trust in. So God's going in this account, Jesus with this guy goes, okay, so you're doing all the right things, but what about your heart? And you know what money starts to do? And Jesus knows this. Money starts to give us some sense of control. Like we can control our lives. Money gives us some kind of pride and status and power. Aren't all these the things that are meant to be attributed to God? Aren't all these the kind of attributes that God wants from us? Our trust and our pursuit and our adoration and our attention? See, Jesus, we can make a big deal in church sometimes about like all the church wants to speak about is money. Jesus is not so much interested in money as he is in your heart. And he knows if he can remove the love of money from your heart, there's space for that adoration. This, This rich young ruler turns and walks away. See, wealth is not the problem. Money is not the problem. Riches is not the problem. The problem is that you, 
You don't own possessions, but when possessions own you. And Jesus, well, sorry, the scriptures speak about this in Ecclesiastes. Chapter 5, verse 19, it says, Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possession, when God gives somebody wealth and possessions, he's got no problem with wealth and possessions, but when God gives somebody wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, he has no problem with us enjoying them, and to accept their lot and to be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. And so how do we be rich towards God? How do we live a life that is rich towards our Father in heaven? Well, I want to speak about three points. They're probably 300 points, but here's three that I want to give you today. The first is that we need to think like stewards, not like owners. We need to think like stewards, not owners. There's a passage in Psalm 24 verse 1. It says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Everything's God's. You, your family, your finances, your business, your bank account, everything belongs to God. And I want to hit the pause button here because it's kind of a, a great platitude to say, God, it's all yours. But what do you, and I really want to ask this question today. What do you actually believe? What do you actually think? Do you actually believe that it's all God's? Do you actually think it's all come from God and it's all because of God? Or truth be told, and I think this is important to land because if you don't figure this out right now in this particular part of the message, but certainly in this particular part of your life, it will change your trajectory. Do some of you think like, well, actually, I've worked hard for this. I deserve this. This is my toil. This is my effort. This is my thinking. Do some of you think like, I can spend my money how I want, where I want, and what I want to spend it on? Or do you put your finances through the filter of God and His Word? Meaning, do you go to God and say, God, everything that I have, how do you want me to spend it? How do you want me to use it? How do you want me to give it away? And friend, can I say this to you? If your answer is an honest call, I don't know that I believe that everything comes from God. I don't know that I've settled in my heart that God owns everything and that my finances actually belong to Him. Then can I ask a humble question today? The humble question is this, do you tithe? And I think the answer would probably be no. And I'll tell you why I think that. I think that because the tithe is the great breaker or tipping point about how we view our finances. It's the great line in the sand that says, I and everything I own belongs to God. And I know what happens when you mention the word tithe in church. Most people get their backs up and perhaps even you today are like, I'm turning this off, I'm catching the guys next week. And I know that there are many people who are quite uh, skeptical around the tithe 
and, and, and perhaps even think it's some master plan, some conspiracy that the church has come up with in order to get your money. And you know what's crazy, church? What you think is a trap, I sincerely believe is your freedom. What the devil has spun a web, making you think this is a trap to get my money, I believe is God's master plan to get you to walk in freedom. And as we've been taking on the series, we have been praying as pastors, and I really mean that, praying for you, that there would be freedom in your life. And we have to talk about the tithe. We have to talk about the tithe because it is one of the greatest stumbling blocks in many people's faith. It's the brick wall in many people's faith. Many people do not walk into the plans and the purposes and the calling of God because they haven't been able to move past the tithe. And so if I can, just for a moment, I'm going to speak about the tithe like you've never heard about it before. And I'm hoping that it'll give you some perspective. And there, there are loads of passages in the Bible about the tithe, but I just want to speak from one verse in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. To give you some context, Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament, and this particular passage about the tithe is obviously found right smack bang in the middle of the law. But what's important to note is that the tithe was practiced long before the law. In fact, 400 years before the law was actually instituted, the tithe was practiced. And then Jesus, long after Malachi, reaffirms the tithe in the New Testament. So we're going to look at a piece of passage that's in the middle of the law, but remember the tithe came before the law, and then it was in many ways affirmed after the law through Jesus and through grace. And so Malachi chapter 3 verse 10 starts like this. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And I'm going to come back to the first four words in a moment, but let's look at the storehouse Point. So bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. The storehouse speaks about the place that you are fed, the place that you are spiritually fed. And so for many people, they want to go, hey, can I just give where I want to give? Friend, unfortunately, that's not up to you and me. Unfortunately, we don't have that choice. There are many choices when it comes to our finances. There are many choices when it comes to our faith. But when it comes to our tithe, we do not have the choice about where our tithe goes. The tithe goes to the storehouse, which is where you and I get fed. It goes on to say that there may be food in my house. And then God says, the only time in the scriptures that you will find this particular statement, then God says something that is fairly drastic. He says, then you can test me in this, says the Lord, and see that I will not throw open the floodgates. The only time that God speaks about the word test, it's like God knew how hard it would be for you and I to tithe, that he's like, I will double dare you. I will take it next level. You can take me on my word in this. It's the one area that I know you're going to struggle the most. So it's the one area that I'm going to allow you to test me in this. God says, test me in this and I will open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Now, many of us get tangled up in this moment because we think blessing always means finances. And it's not that it doesn't mean finances. And it's not that it doesn't mean prosperity. But this blessing is more than just prosperity. It's peace. And it's protection. 
and it's your family and it's your future and it's your purpose and it's your calling and it's your identity. These are the blessings that God wants to give. This open floodgate that God says, test me in this. I want to say to you today, if you have not been tithing, test God in this. But let's go back to the beginning of this passage because it's really uh, important to note a couple of things. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Notice that God had to put the word whole in front of tithe. And the reason that that is important is because sometimes I think we want to decide how much of the tithe we will bring. But the actual word tithe is a Greek word that is ma'asa, which means two things. It means a tenth. Okay, the tithe means a tenth, but it means more than that. And I'm going to come back to what it means more than that in a moment. But let's just pause for a moment on it means 10%. It means a tenth of all of your income. And so friends, again, you and I actually don't have an option if we want to tithe and not tip, if we want to do what God said for us to do, we don't have an option. We don't have an option about where it goes and we don't have an option about how much it is. I'm so grateful to God that he didn't give us a number, that he gave us a percent, which levels the playing field for all of us. In fact, I think it's possibly harder to give 10% when you've got more than when you've got less. And so this word means 10%, but it means more than just 10%. It actually means the first 10%. And some scholars would argue that the word or the order is more important than the percentage. That the first is more important than the 10%. It's not to say it's not 10%, but it's the first that really matters. It's like God's trying to get the order right in your life and in my life. It's like he's trying to say, put me first. Put me first in your life. Put me first in your family. Put me first in your finances. It's like God's trying to say, I want to make sure in this crazy upside down world that tries so hard to put you front and center, you remove that and you put me front and center by getting the order right in your life. It's the same as church. It's the same as coming to church on a Sunday. Many of us approach church as if we'll see how we feel. We'll see what the weather's like, even if it's freaking five degrees on a Sunday. But we shouldn't be approaching church like that. We should be approaching church saying it's the first day of the week. And in the first day of the week, me and my family will go to the house of God and we will worship God and we will praise God and we will serve God because I want to get the order right in my life. So it doesn't matter if I don't feel like it and it doesn't matter if I have a little sniffly nose and it doesn't matter if we're having a little argument. We will be in the house of God because the order is what God's wanting to get right. So the tithe is about making sure the order is right in your finances. And I know that some of you are thinking this right now. Colin, I cannot even live on 100%. How on God's green earth am I going to live on 90%? And I think it's the fact that you're going to live on God's green earth. Yet you're going to be able to live on 90%. Because you've been living on your green earth on 100%. How about we live on God's green earth on 90%? 
Watch what he does when we begin to test him with the tithe. The last point that I want to make about this is the very first word in Malachi. It says, bring the whole tithe. Notice it doesn't say give. It says bring. You know why? Because you can't give what is not yours. In Leviticus, it says that the tithe is holy and set apart for the Lord. Meaning it's not yours. You can only give what's yours. You can bring, or perhaps a better way to speak about the tithe is not that we give the tithe, is that we return the tithe. In fact, some scholars believe that if you look at Malachi, it actually says, how are we robbing God? The way that you and I are robbing God is because when the tithe sits in our bank accounts and not given to the house, to the storehouse of God, we're holding on to what does not belong to us. The tithe belongs to God. Bring the whole tithe to the storehouse. The tithe is the moment that declares God's ownership over everything in your life. Now, I have three kids. Um, they are age five, three, and one. And people have told me it gets better. And in particular, they told me, you will not go to this many parties for the rest of your life. But I don't know what it is, but we are invited to every single birthday party. Like our kids aren't even friends, but the parents are friends. I think the kids might have walked past each other once in the supermarket, and now we're going to their birthday parties. We're getting invites from schools. There's just birthday parties all over the place. And honestly, I can't keep up with it. And we now literally, within our budget, remember week one, within our budget have a birthday's presence for strange kids I've never met in my life before. And my five-year-old is getting in on this giving thing, which we love. But she's like, it's so-and-so's birthday. We're going to buy them presents. And we go into Toys R Us. And the kinds of presents that are being pulled off the shelves are like, put that back. We're going to do bubbles or Uno cards. <laughs> do you know what's interesting? It's easy to give when it's not your money. It's not my daughter's money. It's my money. It's easy for her to be generous. I think that's what God's wanting us to do when it comes to the ownership of our money. The tithe breaks something that this is no longer my money. This is God's. And so he asked me to give. It's easy to give. It's not mine. It's his. Let's make sure that we're living like we're stewards, not owners of our finances. God has created you and created me to be a blessing, to be a conduit of his blessings, not a collector of things. It's meant to be to you and then through you. And friends, let me tell you this. It is one thing getting a husband and wife onto the same page when it comes to your finances. It is a whole nother thing getting you your spouse and the creator of the universe on the same page when it comes to your finances. You watch what God will do in and through you when you get onto the same page as the creator of the universe when it comes to your finances. So the first point is think like a steward, not like an owner. The second is that we should invest more than we spend. And I'm not talking about 
stocks or shares or RAs or investments. I'm talking about heaven and being eternal kingdom investors. Listen to what Matthew 6, 19 to 21 says. It says, do not, command from God, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up, or let's use the word invest for a moment, but invest for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. When we begin to invest in the things of God, we begin to see our heart come alive for the things of God. I think I'm done with all my tough, hard to swallow sayings, but can I say just one more? In the last 18 months, we have spent countless times countless hours in our counseling department and as pastors helping people with their spiritual growth. Most of the conversations I'm having with people is, mm, I feel like the fire in my heart has just gone dim. I feel like my spiritual fervency is low. I feel like my, my connection with God is disconnected. And I want to ask this question in every meeting, but I don't because I want to be kinder. But what I want to ask is, how's your tithes? How's your giving? Because I would suggest that if your tithe or your giving has gone out the window, so is your heart. When we stop giving to God, and that's not just with our finances, but when we stop serving in the house of God, we stop wanting to come to the house of God. When we stop meeting together, when we stop going to home group, when we stop coming to church, when we stop giving, wherever our treasure is, there our heart will also follow. So maybe your heart is cold and maybe a way to activate the heart is to get giving with your treasure. And God has given us an opportunity every day to spend or to invest in what God is doing with our time, our talents, our treasures. I'll give you an example when it comes to your time. Like you can spend time watching Netflix, nothing wrong with that. But you could also spend that same time on your knees praying for your teenager or praying for your boss's salvation. One has no eternal impact and the other has large eternal impact. I'll give you an example when it comes to buying or spending. You can buy the latest car or the new gadget or the new toy. Again, nothing wrong with that. Or you could be moved by the Spirit of God and you could pay a single mom's rent. One has no impact on eternity. The other has massive ramifications and massive treasure in heaven. God is calling us to invest and not just spend. If we could get how temporary this world is, that we shouldn't be storing up just treasures here on earth. And, um, I led our intern program for 10 years, which meant that every year we go on this mission trip somewhere. We've been to China, Uganda, Philippines, uh, India, and every year we take these 19-year-olds, most of which you've never traveled before, and we land in the country, and as you come out there, all these places to exchange money. 
And I just see their eyes like just start to light up. I don't know what it is about having foreign money. It's just so appealing. And so I will say the same thing every year. Like, guys, you probably don't need to exchange your money. Like you could probably use your card. But if you're really going to, please don't exchange a huge amount of money because you, you don't need to. Anyways, there, it doesn't matter. Like I may as well not do the speech because I just see wads of like, you know, Chinese R&B or Indian rupees and... Without fail, every year we'll get back on the plane to fly home and one of the guys will pull out a wad of this Indian rupees and say, what, what, what can I do with this? And I'll look at them and say, nothing. Nothing. You can do nothing with it. Nobody wants it in South Africa. It's a, nothing. What you thought was a temporary value has no value back at home. And I wonder how many of us are gonna to get to heaven one day and look back on this temporary experience here on earth and all the things we bought and all the things we did and wonder, nothing! It has no eternal value. I wonder how many of us are gonna reflect back on our earthly temporary experience from home and go, man, I could have invested more. I could have given more. And just this last week, my office is next to Hilton Gins and I heard he'll turn up the volume which on Lauren's EP. And I couldn't quite hear the words, but I'm not kidding with you. Through the wall, I could feel the presence of God. I could feel the anointing of the song. And I got home and I said to Tony, my wife, I'm like, I heard, I heard Lauren's song, one of her songs today. And she's like, oh, I also heard it. And at the same time, both of us responded back. Like, I'm so glad we sewed into that project. I'm so glad that we gave to that. Because I know that those songs are going to go and they're going to they're encourage people and challenge people and share the gospel with people. And we're so grateful. And I don't know if it was a small amount or large amount and what Lauren was looking for, but I'm grateful I got in on that. And just a quick side note, you better get in on that project. She should be sending money back saying, I've got too much. Not having to do fundraisers to be able to get this money. We should be investing into things that have eternal value. Which leads me on to my third and final point. And that, we sh that is that we should live to give. We should live to give. You will start to get, an, it's gonna, you're going to be like an adrenaline junkie. You're going to get on heaven's side. You're going to start to be a conduit of heaven and it's going to be exhilarating. You're going to start to wake up looking for opportunities to give. Instead of looking for opportunities how to make more money or figure out how you're going to, you're going to live to give, waiting with your ear open to heaven saying, God, what do you want? How can I be a good steward and a giver? Listen to what Proverbs chapter 22 verse 9 says. It says, the generous will themselves be blessed, not just financially, but with peace and happiness and joy and love and an excitement and purpose and a reason to live because they're waking up saying, God, where do you want me to give? This world conditions us so differently. And when I think about this church and our community and the countless stories of generosity, I get excited about what the future looks like at our church. Now I could sit here, we could sit here and tell you thousands of stories of generosity. I want to just tell you two that come to mind. The first 
He's a good friend of mine. We went to varsity together. We did two years of Bible college together. And it was very obvious that at the end of two Bible college years that he was not going to be a pastor. He is a phenomenal financial advisor and very successful in his own right. And 11 years ago, I was sitting down sharing a dream with him about a ministry, an organization that I felt God prompting me to start called True Life. And the whole purpose of True Life was that it would get into the darkest, most painful places of society, that it would impact teenagers and preteens with all of their struggles, with their anxiety and their anorexia and the abuse, that it would get in the middle, in the, in the fabric of community, and it would start to parent a generation, and that it would start to educate. And he looked at me, he said, I, I, I can't dance, I can't sing. I can't create videos, but I can give. And he made a decision 11 years ago that he would give X amount of his salary. And he has done that for 11 years. And when I reflect back, I think it's just short of half a million rand that he's given over the last 11 years. And when I reflect back, I think to myself, I wonder how many kids had a lifeline that they were thinking maybe, just maybe, their life wasn't worth living. They were thinking maybe it's worth committing suicide. But the true life, guys, by the grace of God, the timing of God, the goodness of God, but the provision and the giving of an individual that allowed us to be in that school on that day doing the work of God because somebody, somebody got gripped by the eternal call rather than the temporary living generosity. If I think about this church, twice through our Heart for the House Sundays, we've made a call that we're going to plant new campuses, start new churches, one in Giba, Dustin Hook area, and the other in PMB. PMB just celebrated two years. There are countless, hundreds of stories of people's lives being changed because of the generosity of this church. There are many, many, many people who have found salvation through those two churches that otherwise would have been in darkness. And that's because of the generosity of this church. And so my question to you as we land this service is what is your legacy? What, what do you want to give? What do you want to be known for? See, because in a week or two, well, you heard about it on the 19th, we're going to have our Heart for the House Sunday. And we're going to ask you to consider giving. We're going to ask you to pray about a number, a figure, to be able to give to the continued work in this church. But we don't want anybody to feel obligated when it comes to giving, when it comes to generosity, God is not forcing us to give. God is not trying to manipulate us into giving. God is saying that this is something that He invites you into, not demands of you. And I finish with this story, this account in Matthew chapter two, uh, sorry, 21, verse 2 to 3. It's the account where Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. And uh, if you know the story, it's the account where he rides the donkey and everybody comes around and starts singing Hosanna and there's this, all this praise. But there's this odd story that's like found in the scriptures here. And the story goes like this. It's Jesus says, go into the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey there tied up and her colt with her. 
untie them and bring them to me. The next verse says, if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. Say that the Lord needs them. Let's just pause here for a moment. Jesus doesn't need the donkey. I mean, he doesn't need the donkey. This is the creator of the universe, the one who spoke and stars and the whole entire universe was created. This is the one who told Moses, just put your staff in the sea and the Red Sea split. This is the one who just touched somebody and their blindness was restored. Jesus doesn't need a donkey. Do you know what he's doing? He's inviting us into the story. He's saying to the guy who had the donkey, imagine you gave a donkey and for the rest of your life, you get to say the Savior rode on my donkey. I was part of that story. That's what God's inviting us into. Isn't it mind-blowing that the God of the universe, the creator of you and me, who made you and me, asked to borrow something so that he can impact somebody else he created, so that we can reach them in their pain and their darkness and their heartache so that heaven can be glorified and magnified. Isn't it crazy that he would ask to borrow a donkey from you and me? I want my prayer, my response to be like, God, if you need a donkey, I'll give you a donkey. If you need the bank account, I'll give you the bank account. God, everything I have belongs to you. And we're going to take a moment now to watch a story. We've been watching three different stories of our different NPOs over the last three weeks. But a story of a life that is impacting so many people. But let me tell you, if it wasn't for this church sowing into heart for the house, our Giba campus wouldn't have been started. This young man's life wouldn't have been saved. His life wouldn't have been transformed through an intern program, which he got sponsorship to do. And we would not be listening to the story today. And so have your hearts wide open as you listen to the story and say to God, God, I want to give you my donkey. <laughs> 